So we're talking about uh, a heart like his. We're in this study in the life of David. Uh, we talked last week about Saul to kind of give a background. Saul's the first king of Israel. Uh, he's king seven days, and God says, I found somebody after my own heart, which we know, we know in retrospect, we know that this is going to be David. But what's interesting about this, this is, this is at least 12 years before David is born. So then he's, you know, then it's going to be a while before he's, you know, old enough to become king. So this is interesting how God is calling David. Uh, he's choosing David before David is able to do anything good or bad. David hasn't done anything yet. And it's kind of how God chooses us. And do you remember those days, I, you know, back in the olden days, uh, you know, when I went to school, we got to have recess. Uh, and during recess, we would go out and play various ty- types of games. Depending on the season of the year, we would play football in the lawn there in front of the, the, the elementary school. We would play baseball. We go to the back rock and play. And, and one of the dilemmas of that is that you had to choose up teams. And that's, that's fine, but there's always that fear that you're not going to get chosen. You know, you, and you certainly don't want to be chosen last. And you certainly don't want to be, you know, as a guy, you don't want some girl to be chosen ahead of you. Uh, it's like, that was like the death knell of, uh, in your life right there. So we, you know, we all, we all struggle with that. We want to be chosen. And, and this is interesting that God calls out to us really from eternity. And he says to us, I choose you. And what a glorious thing that is, is that God, knowing us, he doesn't choose us because he looks at us and says, well, there's, that's going to be a good one. I'm going to choose that one. He chooses us because of who he is, not because of who we are. So we're going to look at that today. Uh, Saul, Saul is going to be king. He's going to be king uh, for 40 years. Uh, seven days after he's anointed, God says, you know, I'm going to replace you. And now 27 years later, 27 years later, something's happening. First Samuel 16, 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. So it's uh, Saul is king. It's 12 years until David is born. And now David is probably about 15 so it's 27 years. It's 27 years since God first said, I'm choosing someone after my own heart. To the time that he anoints David as king. 27 years, Saul continues to be king. And he's going to end up being king another 13 to 15 years uh, after, after David is anointed to be king. Saul is going to be king another 13 to 15 years. And here's what you got to get. This is hard for us. God's timing and our timing are not the same. Because I don't know about you, but I I would say if you got to wait 27 years, that's a long time. If you got to wait 40 years, that's a real long time. Most of us give up before then. 
This was, this was all in God's timing. This was all in God's plan. And one of the things about God is even when you don't see him working, he's working. Even when you don't feel him working, he's working. He was working all this time. There was a plan that God was working. So God says, I want you to go, I want you to, go to Bethlehem, and I want you to anoint somebody there. I want you to take your horn, fill it with oil, anointing oil, and I've, I've appointed the new king. I want you to go in and go to Jesse's house and do it. And Saul, Samuel says, but Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So I think it's interesting that Samuel is afraid of Saul. Because it appears to me when I read all of the text that actually Saul is afraid of Samuel. But here's the one thing you learn about fear. It's not rational. Listen to when Samuel confronts, this is just a few verses before Samuel confronts Saul, but Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore, which makes me think that Saul was on the ground, right? Because he grabbed, he didn't grab his shoulder, he grabbed the hem of his robe. So Samuel is before. Saul is before Samuel on the ground, and he grabs the hem of his robe, but it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one that's better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he's not a human being that he should change his mind. So you think, why is... Samuel afraid of Saul. Now he's announced to him he's not going to continue to be king. But Samuel has always had the power in this relationship because he's speaking for God. And so he's in the midst of this, for some reason, he's afraid. And here's another thing we learned about fear. Fear is not rational. You often fear things that you shouldn't fear. And then you you don't fear things you should fear. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's saying, he's saying don't fear death, but do fear hell. And what he's saying, he said, don't fear, don't fear the, the people who could kill you. No, temporary death is a problem. Eternal death is a big problem. Temporary death, you don't want to have that. Eternal death, you certainly don't want to have. So he's, he is, he's, he's saying, fear God. If you're going to fear, fear God. Don't, don't fear what people think. You know, a lot of times we're, we're driven by fear of people more than we are fear of God. We're, what are people going to think? We're, and this is Saul. Saul is driven by his fear of what the people think. He says to Samuel, oh, no, you know, uh, go with, let me go with you to worship so that it will look good. Now, he's just had the kingdom torn from his hand, but his, he's concerned with appearances. Saul was always concerned with what people thought instead of what God thought. And so it's important 
how, how we handle fear. And one of those things is we need to fear God instead of people. We need to not worry about how things look, but how it looks to God. We're, off, we're often concerned about how it looks to people. So God says, okay, to Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. So when, Saul, when Samuel approaches Bethlehem, here's what, here's what the elders say. And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what you should do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? And he said, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So I mean, you know, what, what's, what are they afraid of? Well, they're afraid of the prophet who knows their secrets. We're all kind of afraid of people who might know our secrets. I mean, think, just think of it this way. So you hear, you hear some car doors outside your house, and you go and look through the window to see who's coming up the steps, and you see it's four church elders are coming up the steps with kind of a stern look on their face. And so you want to say, and turn to your wife, say, honey, what did you do? <laughs> right? I mean, because you don't, you think, oh no. You just don't know. You don't know. It's like, why are they coming? What is, you know, you know, you look, you see if you paid your tithes, you know, you're checking everything, I, you know. So there's just that, that unknown, that unknown, something's happening. You know, you, you, uh, like, you know, you're just, you're just sometimes so surprised when you get in trouble, when you're not trying to get in trouble. Uh, a couple of years ago, they were building a road down by us and, and, uh, and I've told you the story, but since it involves Tina, it's a good story to tell. Uh, they're building a new road and they had it closed. And one day we're out driving around. We've been to a church softball game. We're driving around to see what's going on. And we're just killing some time. And, uh, and we drive up to the road. And the barriers that they had had up on the concrete of this new road have been moved away. And so we said, great. They, they've got the road open. And uh, so I said, let's, go, let, let's go, go down it. Team is driving. So, you know, hey, let's go down the road. Uh, so we get to the, the down, drive down to the other end of the road. We get to the other end. The barriers are still up. So, I mean, what do you, 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 what do, you do? You, you have to, you, there was a way to get around the barriers, you know, just barely. So Tina starts around the barriers and just, he starts around the barriers. Woo, woo, woo. Lights come up. Uh, and I said, <laughs> So Tina's all worried. I said, they're not going to give you a ticket. We're not a bunch of kids here messing around. They're not going to give you a ticket. Yeah, he gave her a ticket. And so here comes this policeman. You know, he's like 15 or 16 years old. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to tell. Uh, uh, he was a young guy. And so we said to him, the the barriers were not up on the other end of the road. He said, yes, they were. Said, no, they weren't. It's like, yes, they were. I said, no, they're, go down there and look. They're not up. Yes, they are. I said, no, 
They're not. So, you know, he just thinks we're, you know, a couple of old, old rebels, you know, out to, what are y'all doing today? We're going to go out and move some bears and drive on new concrete. But you're just surprised. You're just surprised because you're not thinking you're going to do, you're not doing anything to get in trouble. And you're just surprised when you do get in trouble. So you can imagine that they're all afraid. Then it came back when they entered that he took, looked at Eliab. So he goes into Jesse's house as the Lord's told him to do. And when he sees Eliab, he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So he says, you know, we know that Saul was taller than everybody else in the land. He was head and shoulders over everybody. So Samuel, when he says, okay, God's picked another king. Oh, look, here's another tall guy. He must be the one. So the Lord says to Samuel, no, it's, it's not because he's tall. I've rejected this one. Don't look at outward appearance. And here's the reality. Men do look at outward appearance. The, the way we judge people is how they look right? We may try not to be that way, but, but, but God looks at the heart. God's looking beyond that. So he just assumed. Even when God is doing a new thing, it's hard not to look for the same old thing. If God's done something a specific way in your life, we tend to get locked on in how God did it instead of how God's doing it. God often does things creatively in our life. He often does things differently than he did things other times in our life. And also, we want to make sure that we're seeing people the way God sees them, and we're not seeing things through the world's eyes, that we're not judging people by appearance the way the world does. Because we don't want to judge the way the world judges. We want to judge the way God judges. So we don't want to write people off as we would be tempted to do because they look a certain way. God doesn't write people off because they look a certain way. And also, your view can be tainted by your experience. So Samuel is bringing a 27-year-old experience into what is happening today. And so we do that. We, we let experiences of the past taint how we're relating to God in the present. That's not to say that the Word is not consistent, God's not consistent. But the way God moves is not always exactly the same. We need to be open to what he's doing in our lives according to the word of God, by the spirit of God, how he's moving in our hearts. Are you seeing your situation through your eyes or God's eyes? Samuel had to get through seeing it his way to seeing it God's way. Sometimes we have to get through seeing things our way to see it God's way. We have to lay down some preconceived ideas, some preconceived notions, some things that we think are important to say, is this, is this how God sees it? Is this as important to God as it is to me? What is important to God? Well, you know what's important to God? Loving God with all your heart and loving people. Are we loving God with all our heart and are we loving people? I was, well, I was so impressed. Wasn't it a great thing what Lake Point Church did these last couple of weeks where they paid off $2.7 or $2.9 million in, credit, in uh, debt? medical debt for 2,400 people. 
And that's, uh, that's powerful. That was great. Now, it didn't cost them $2.9 million. They're able to negotiate that down. But no matter, what, no matter what it was, it was a sacrifice. And it was a great gift that they gave these people and exemplified what the body of Christ should be about. And I, just, I, I think it was a great thing they did, don't you? We just honor them for that sacrifice. So, you know, God does, how does God see people? How does God love people? So how do we reach out to people in a loving way to show them God's love? So, so he's looking at these sons. He's thinking, okay, wh- which one is it? And so then Jesse calls Abinadab. He's the next oldest and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord cho- chosen this one. Next, Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Nathanael, Radai, Ozem are the next group. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So it's like, okay, is this, is this it? Where, is there anybody else? And they're like, yeah. You know, Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? He said, well, there remains yet the youngest. Behold, he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, well, send and bring him, for we'll not sit down until he comes here. So, so you think about, so David is kind of like this forgotten son. You know, he's the youngest. You know, you know what happens with the youngest child? I don't know if you know this, if you have multiple children. With the youngest child, you're tired. They say, well, the young child gets away with a lot. They do, because by then you're like, that wasn't such a big deal anyway. You know, I was really worried about that. It didn't make that much difference anyway. I'm not fighting that battle. You know, you just, you just, you know, and then it drives the older ones crazy. You know, um, so you can imagine, you can imagine that these other six other brothers uh, are, are angry that they feel like, you know, they're just letting David, he just, David just leaves the house for days and they don't even know where he is and nobody really cares, you know? So David's out with the sheep. So they finally call David in and, uh, he's, he's different. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy means he was red. He was redhead with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now, he's probably 15 years old. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So he's made king. Nobody knows but his family. You know? And Samuel leaves and he goes back to the sheep. It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't seem like a big deal. And it's, it's going to be 13, 15 years before he actually is king, before Samuel is dead. So in this whole thing, you think, okay, it's 12 years before he's born, then he's 15 years old, then it's another, <laughs> another 13 to 15 years before he's actually king, this 40, 42 year process of God that you recognize that we often don't have a handle on God's timing because we often think it's going to happen tomorrow at three o'clock. 
And God works in generations. He's got a real long, he's, you know, we're like thinking, I need this done tomorrow. And God says, I'll get it done in my time. So David is, is chosen to be the next king. He's the, the man after God's own heart. He's, he's different. Why, why did God choose David? I, so I think we have some, a good picture of this from the Psalms because a lot of these Psalms were written while he was a young lad. So we get a picture of the Psalms of why God chose David. 1 Samuel 13, 14. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. In Acts, they say it this way. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. So what made David a man after God's own heart? So if we want to have a heart like his... What are some characteristics? And it's probably a thousand things. You know, you think, you know, if you look at the Psalms, you could think there's what, this could be a very exhaustive list. But, you know, I know the Cowboys play today, so I won't make it that long of a list. Uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So we can see out of these psalms that David wrote that what was in his heart. David had a worshiping heart. I mean, that's pretty clear from the psalms, right? That David had a heart for God. He had a heart that wanted to, wanted to recognize who God was. And we see it in a couple of characteristics. One, Psalm 9-1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart. I will tell all thy wonders. I will be glad and exult. That's a good word, isn't it? Think about it. I, I will exult. I will exalt. I will. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it my all. David was giving everything he did. I will sing praise to thy name, O God. It's, a, it's an exuberant heart. I, I believe God calls us into an exuberant relationship with him. It's, Christianity is not a passive relationship. God calls us into a love relationship. He calls us to know his love. It's, it's not just something you know in here. It's something you know in here. You know, you, it's something you feel. Christianity is not just something you know. Knowing Christ is something you feel in your heart. It's, it is an experience. You're just like, well, how do you know that? Well, I mean, how do I know that I love Tina? In my head, I could say, well, you know, she's a beautiful woman. There's a lot of beautiful women. Does that mean I love every beautiful woman? What, just because I know that, I know that? No, the it goes beyond what I know in my head that she's a beautiful woman, has a lot of gifts and talents and abilities. 
and she's, you know, blind in the necessary area so that she can love me. Uh, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the old joke? He said, the husband, man's arguing with his wife, said, why did God make you so beautiful and make you so, but make you so stupid? And the wife says, well, I'm, he made me beautiful so you would love me, and he made me stupid so I could love you. Uh, <laughs> So, but I, my love for her is not just in my head. It's, it is a passion. It is a feeling that we, and our relationship with God is not just in our head. It's not just Bible truths that we know. He has called us into relationship. And so it, it has to do with our soul, our spirit. It has to do with our heart. David understood that. I'll give thanks to the Lord my God with all my heart and will glorify thy name forever. Psalm 18.1, a psalm of David served the Lord who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of the enemy's friend to Saul. That was the introduction. And then he said, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. David loved God. He had a big view of who God was. He had such a big view of God that when he saw Goliath, he realized that his God was bigger than Goliath, and he wasn't afraid of Goliath because he feared God more. He believed God, so he was able to face Goliath. He had a big view of God. And he had a heart that was hungry for the Word of God. And you even think about that. That's a a weird way to think about it. I mean, the Bible says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. He's saying, knowing God is an experience. It is a reality. It's, it, it's something that becomes a part of you. You can say, how do you know something's good? You taste it. You see it. You ever somebody say, here, here, taste this. You're like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where did it come from? <laughs> you know. But the, the, the real proof is in the taste. When I pastored a little church in Spring Hill, Louisiana for three years, uh, Tina, you know, I was, I was uh, you know, 23 years old pastoring a church. Certainly didn't know what I was doing, but we were having a lot of fun. And, uh, and this church would have dinner on the grounds about three times a month. And I'm talking about they'd bring in a hall of food that you couldn't imagine. Uh, they would bring in so much food. And everyone would make, they had a special desserts that they made that were unique. And uh, I gained about 30 pounds while I was pastor there for three years. And they would, uh, everyone would say, okay, pastor, did you try, did you try my butter roll? Pastor, did you try my pudding? Did you have some of my, pastor, did you have some of my cake? Hey, did you, and it was like, well, and uh, so you had to try it. (laughs) And I forced myself. And, uh, and you know what? It was all glorious. (laughs) They were, they were incredible cooks. Just incredible southern cooks, and they would bring in some of the best food you ever lapped a lip on. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, what, where's the proof? The proof is in the taste. Have you tasted this? And that's the invitation God gives us. David is saying, I've experienced God. I've experienced the reality of God. I've, I've sat in a field surrounded by sheep, and I've, I've felt the presence of God on me and with me. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so it created him this, this hunger for the Word of God. He, what, he didn't see the Word of God as a, as a bunch of rules. 
You see, when you read the Word of God as a list of do's and don'ts, you miss it. The Word of God is not a list of do's and don'ts. The Word of God is a revelation of Jesus Christ. So when you read the Word of God and you see God revealing Himself, so David says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. And they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Now that's someone who's experiencing and tasting the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And David was open to correction because David messed up. One of the things we're going to see about David is David wasn't perfect. David was a man of flaws. He made some really big mistakes. Some costly mistakes in his life. Luckily, you and I don't do that. Right? But he was open to correction. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And David had a heart that trusted God. He put his trust in God. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I praise him. So David, David's heart was connected to God. He had a heart for God. But, you know, here's the reality. God didn't choose David because of something he did. Because God chose David 12 years before he was born. God drew David into a relationship that changed him. The reason, reason David had a heart after God is because God gave it to him. Something happened in David's life. I, I believe one day, I believe one day, he was just sitting out the sh- watching the sheep like any other day, and somehow, by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, David got something he had never gotten before. Sitting out there among the sheep, he said, you know, I believe God loves me. He understood something about that he didn't, it wasn't something learned, it was something that was revealed to him by the Spirit of God in that field The Word of God was revealed to him, the love of God. We love God because he first loved us. And in that moment, something happened in David's heart, and he realized, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. David understood. He had a revelation because he recognized something about how God had put his love in his heart. God loved him 
first. God loves us first. We don't choose God. He chooses us. And that love, that, that comprehension, comprehension of the love of God and how much God loved him changed his heart so that he had a heart like God. Just like David, God has chosen you. Now here's the difference. We read the Old Testament and we see little pictures of the Spirit of God touching individual lives. One here, one there, Abraham, Jacob. But Jesus came so that you and I could experience to a greater degree the love of God than they experienced. So that you and I, so that you, so that God could say, yeah, I chose David, but I also choose you. I love what the way it says this in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, you know, we could, we could go a long time talking about predestination and, you know, how you came to Christ and who God picks and who, doesn't, who, God, who God doesn't pick and all of that. Let me just say this about that. God created all things and God exists outside of time. Okay? We, can we come, agree with that? That God is not bound by time? That God exists out of time? He created time? Uh, God's, God's eternity is not a long time. It is the absence of time. Time is a created element. Everything that you see, this universe, billions and billions of light years of, across, was created by God by His Word. But it, God exists outside of his creation. He is not bound by his creation. He exists outside of his creation. And here's what you... So how did God pick and what does God know? He knows everything. He can track every molecule and every proton and neutron and gluon, every, everything that exists in the universe. He knows exactly where each one is because he created it and he holds it together by the word of his power. There's nothing he doesn't know. <laughs> so he could say, 12 years before David is born, I've picked a man after my own heart. David. Because he's made the choice to bring David to himself. What Paul is saying to the Ephesians, in the same way, you look through eternity and pick you. He chose you. And he didn't say, well, here's a good one. This one's never going to mess up. I really like him. I'm going to get Greg Dietz. He never has any problems. Right? Or, or Randy Hewitt or 
He just reached down with his love and chose us based on who he is, not who we are. He chose us to give us his love and his grace and his mercy so that he could, we could have a changed heart. Our hearts are changed. William talked about it. When Christ comes into our heart by the Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God that came on David, just, just David, nobody else in the family, nobody else in Israel at the time, David, boom, David. The same Spirit of God that came on David now because Jesus came to earth, died in our place, ascended to the Father. When he ascended to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit back so that you and I can experience the reality of the presence and the peace of God in the same way that David did. He set his love on David, and he has set his love on you. We've been chosen. And here's the great, he's not waiting until you change. He's not saying, well, if you can get a heart like mine, I'm going to pick you. He's not waiting until we change. It's not about us. It's about him. He's not waiting for you to get your act together. It's his responsibility. He's changing us. Here's what he says in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will complete it. The one who brings you to himself is able to finish the work in you and make you worthy of heaven because of what Jesus did, not because of us. He will complete it. It's like you're standing in line in elementary school and God looks down through eternity and says, Hey, Greg, I want you on my team. Hey, Tina, I want you on my team. He picks us. He chooses us. Isn't that a wonderful gift? Isn't it glorious to be loved like that? And it is a love that changes our life. Changes our heart to be a heart like his. That's what I want. I want a heart like his. And I can have that because I've been loved. I've been loved by the greatest love in the eternity in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's stand. Let's stand and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you've never said yes to the love of Jesus Christ, I would challenge you today to say, ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. To experience the reality of a God who loves you. I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. Jesus, I am so thankful that you came into my life to save sinners of whom I am the chief and bring into me the glory of your love so that I could know you the way you know me. Lord, thank you for lavishing your grace upon me. Thank you for giving me your love and creating in me a new heart. Lord, I want to have a heart like yours. I want to have a heart like yours. In Jesus' name, amen.